the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. It's not easy to build and maintain a healthy, loving relationship. Sometimes it may feel impossible, but according to today's guest, Dr. Catherine Ford, while it is no small feat, it is possible. Dr. Ford joins us to discuss how we can create a successful relationship. Dr. Ford's been practicing psychotherapy in private practice for more than 20 years. She received her MD from Brown University Medical School and completed her psychiatry residency at the Stanford School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Ford. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's good to be talking to you. So, Catherine, what is it that is happening with our relationships today? What are the trends showing us? Well, as everyone knows, the the biggest recent trend is uh, people's attempts to adjust to COVID and uh, the the changes in their life around that. And uh, that has varied depending on whether you're in a constant relationship that with someone that you live with all the time or whether you were in a phase of your life where a lot of your relationships happened outside of your own home and therefore were more restricted in certain ways. Um, the general reflection about that, I think, has been that all kinds of relationships were in more trouble because of this relative isolation restriction of normal activity, et cetera. Uh, That's not actually my experience with the people I've talked to in my practice and in my own personal life. I think that there's been a lot of variability. I think like a lot of crisis points, it's it's accentuated and or accelerated whatever the trend was. So relationships that were struggling um, were the people in them were more aware of those struggles. And in other cases, it brought people closer together um, by having a little more time together, a little less distraction, a little less complexity. So it's uh, that's the most recent trend. I think the the other trends, you know, everyone is also aware of, uh, have to do with um, people questioning um, the types of relationships they want to have, the variety of them, uh, the longevity of them, and. Uh, so I think there's there's a lot of different trends going on right now. Well, and I think people are questioning so many aspects of their lives today. You know, their job, the relationships with particular friends, um, family, loved ones. I mean, there's just, I don't know, in, in some level, it seems like there is some type of a personal awakening taking place. Do you find that mm-hmm. to be the case? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think that as people notice that the the ways they were taught to do things, the ways that we've done things for for the past couple of generations um, are not working that well anymore. People are innovating more and and questioning and trying out new things. And uh, there's a lot of experimentation going on right now, um, which has strain related to it, but as well as uh, invigoration and uh, innovation. Well, you mentioned past generations. When I look at my family, my parents were married 56 years when my father passed away. My grandparents made it to 72 years when my grandfather passed away. 
Did they know something about relationships that we didn't? Why do you think we have so many more divorces today? Or, or why are relationships so much more challenging today? You know, there's been a couple of, of things talked about about that. And, you know, when we say today, it is true today, but also we've been noticing those trends for, you know, at least a generation in terms of the divorce rates rising and people changing partners more often, just as they've changed jobs more often. Um, I think some of it has to do, again, with having more choices and more options. Some of it also has to do with the the, uh, relationships in the past didn't, in terms of options of how to survive at a a kind of a basic maintaining oneself level, uh, going back a couple of generations, survival wasn't that easy for a lot of people. And you really needed a family unit and often an extended family unit to make a go of it. And this was particularly true, of course, of, of people that were living, you know, close to a subsistence level. It was very important that there be several people in a family cluster working together to get the crops in or to make sure that the, the house stayed repaired. And that's not so much true anymore. And as well, I think people are are not as prone to have extended family around, which puts definitely more strain on the nuclear family and on couples in terms of holding holding things together. And so as as couples look at that, uh, the 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 downside of trying to maintain continuity became more apparent. And I don't think we know yet what to do about relationships where it's not about survival, it's about quality of life and ongoing development. Um, A lot of couples come to me and ask me, why is this so hard? It shouldn't be so hard. And of course, a lot of what they tend to assume is this is hard because there's something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with you, or there's something wrong with the fact that we got together. And what I find actually and and end up emphasizing to them is actually being a couple in the way that many couples are trying to be a couple right now, and that extends to all relationships, really. We actually expect more from relationships in a certain way. We expect to be listened to well. We expect to be understood. We expect to um, have our our cherished ideas uh, entertained in a, in a pretty um, psychological and sophisticated way. And, it, and we don't exactly know how to do that yet. And so I think being a couple and being in serious relationships of any kind, uh, parent-child relationships, uh, deep friendships that are long-lasting, requires a great deal of self-development and and willingness to learn and interest in learning. A lot of the issues then can arrive from the expectations we place on these relationships. We're looking for another person to complete us rather than complement us. Uh, I, I, I stuttered around the word complete because I don't know I, if, we're, if we're aiming at completion, then that's um, that's in the direction of what I think of in terms of development. I, I, I hesitate because I think sometimes the word completion in the context of relationship has those connotations of this is the rest of me or this is what I need to feel complete in life. So maybe fulfillment is a better word? In terms of, yeah, fulfillment or, or development, mm-hmm. of exploring, of figuring out things about life that... Uh, that take a lifetime and beyond to figure out. And so the completion of oneself is an ongoing project, and it, it doesn't end. We, we are constantly going towards completing or revising ourselves. It's, it's, it's not unidirectional. We, we might go in one direction for a while and then find ourselves turning a corner to develop in a different direction. Well, and the reason I asked that question, Catherine, was because I know a lot of women who, um, you know, they, they get into middle age and the family's grown and and they had given everything to the family. They looked to the family for their personal satisfaction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for their growth. And then one day it was, well, I'm not happy with any of this anymore because I don't even know who I am. So when I was asking that question, yeah. I, I guess what I meant was, is it that we're looking for the relationship to bring us our happiness, to give us all that we need, rather than making it be something that does give us joy in addition to what we've created and done mm-hmm. for ourselves? 
Yeah, I think when we look to the relationship to bring us happiness, that is when we end up unhappy. Right. <laughs> Relationships bring us happiness in certain moments, and they also bring us all kinds of other things, um, anger, frustration, uh, tears, uh, resentments. Um, so relationships are a source of, I would say, intensification of experience. And what relationships really bring us is an opportunity to explore and to learn more. And the and what we're exploring and learning more about is ourselves. And so the 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 looking for happiness happens best as we start to understand our own. Um, personhood and how to deploy that in life, especially in relationships, so that we feel good. And in relationships, generally speaking, when we're when we're talking about happiness or or what we want in relationships, we're talking about wanting as as much as possible of those moments of feeling solidly connected, openly connected, and safely connected. And people are constantly with each other trying to optimize for the connection safety thing. Uh, we don't like feeling connected when it feels unsafe. And we also don't like feeling not connected. And so people have different amounts of connection they want, and they certainly have different kinds of relationships that they want to, to fulfill those connections. But by and large, human beings are, are very well equipped and kind of um, designed to connect to each other. And on the other hand, we're also very well designed to have um, almost like a startle or, or safety response when when we feel like the other person is acting more like a foe than a friend. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tricky thing to kind of navigate this territory of how to get the right connection without triggering each other into this defensive, uh, frightened posi- posture that we go into when we feel like the other person is beginning to behave um, in a not-so-friendly way. When a relationship has been broken due to something big, like an affair or some other type of betrayal, can it be saved? Yes, uh, but you're asking the right question, and it's kind of a big question that comes up a lot. Um, it can, and it's not easy. So so partly whether or not that relationship will survive that that particular trauma and, and affairs are definitely traumatic to relationships uh, depends on a lot of things. And partly it depends on the, each individual's interest in getting past that trauma. Um, it will take a while. It'll take probably longer than you want it to take. And it'll take a lot more work. And, and again, it's an intensification of the learning about yourself and about how you're going to connect to this person, including the fact that now you've introduced something that uh, in terms of that connection safety quotient, now you've really amplified the moments um, and the intensity of the moments where you feel that you're not safe. Uh, you've, you've, you've messed with a certain territory of safety. And so winning that back is going to take not only a lot of hard work, but also a lot of courage and often some extra knowledge that you didn't have before about how do you repair something that large. And repair in relationships is is maybe the most important thing because if we're trying to be safe by making sure that we never make any mistakes, by making sure that we never get hurt, Um, people often say, I don't want to be hurt again. And that's kind of a non-starter for any relationship. Relationships being what they are involve injuring each other and hurting each other. And the goal of trying not to do that and trying to be perfect and not make mistakes is, is, is a, is unrealistic. Um, what we need instead is to know how to repair injuries. And of course the injuries of an affair are an especially large case of that. And how do you, navigate a relationship when you have different styles of handling conflict? For example, one person likes to deal with the conflict head on, discuss it, work through it. Mm -hmm. The other person runs away and can't face things and just kind of denies that there's even a problem. How do you navigate something Mm -hmm. like that? Yeah, that comes up a lot. Um, and, And what you've said already is an important part of dealing with it is to understand that that you're going to have different styles of dealing with difficulties. Um, and this comes up with difficult moments in the relationship. It also happens when something external to the relationship happens. For instance, um, 
the the lockdown that we experienced at the beginning of the the COVID uh, pandemic crisis, uh, people have very different styles of reacting to strain, whether it's inside the relationship or outside. So the beginning point is knowing that that's true, knowing that there's there's no right or wrong about that. That some people prefer, for example, uh, when there's a there's a problem, they'd like to go off and think about it for a while by themselves before talking about it, and that feels more comfortable and more productive to them. And other people um, do their best thinking while they're talking, and they kind of think out loud. And so they need contact and conversation in order to figure out how they feel about things. And so part of it is simply understanding that these differences are going to happen and that if you're in a serious relationship, what you're trying to do is optimize for what's good for the relationship as well as what's good for each of you. And so you're trying to figure out what do we each need and also since what we each need is to be connected, how do we best do that? in this particular partnership, but knowing that that's the goal, that what you can't, what you can't afford if you're in a serious relationship is to disregard the importance of the connection to each of you. It's tempting to do that and connecting becomes too hard. Um, a lot of us, you know, the style is just to want to turn our backs and say, I don't need that. Uh, but in fact, it's, it's very, the rare individual that doesn't need that connection with a few special people in their life. And so working together as a team so that you're optimizing for what do you each need in order to be connected um, is kind of what the, what the project becomes. This would pertain to a love relationship, but also any type of friendship as well. And, and I guess the, the point yes. there is the understanding, because when you are the type of person who likes to talk things through and the other person avoids, it's very easy to feel like the other person doesn't care. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's where over-communicating can come in very handy. People often want their their close associates, whether it's their domestic partner or, as you said, a close friend. We have a natural desire to want the other person to read our minds and to know us so thoroughly that they automatically know what we need. But in fact, good communication and good connection between people that are intimates involves a combination of knowing each other very well and at times anticipating what the other person needs and at other times needing a lot of communication about that. And especially if there's extra strain or extra crisis, um, assuming that the other person should just know that you need time alone is maybe not going to work out the best um, probably better, especially if the other person seems to be getting agitated about that, is to take time to explain, look, I get that uh, that you're feeling anxious right now. I'm feeling anxious also. Um, I would like to talk to you. I think I'm going to need a little time by myself to kind of figure out where I am. I'll get back to you. And so you give a lot of communication about what's going on, why you're pulling away, because while we respond very strongly to each other's nonverbal communications, they're not very articulate. And that's where the thing comes in of mind reading. If you know somebody pretty well, you do a better job of guessing what a nonverbal communication like the other person disappearing for a few days might mean. But let's say you don't know them that well or you haven't yet figured out that this person takes distance in order to um, soothe themselves and be ready to, to make contact. Uh, some explicit conversation about that before you, before you go away for your two or three days of alone time can be awfully helpful. And so we've been talking about some of the problems in relationships, but Catherine, what are some of the things that we can do to create a loving, lasting union, whether it be with a friend or a loved one? That's, that's a really good question, and, and I, I love that question because too often we think in terms of relationships as the whole thing is about solving the problems. And in fact, um, we don't get very far solving problems um, because the relationship, most of all, needs to keep growing and be a place of exploration and risk-taking. So what can we do that, that builds that and builds the strength of the relationship? Um, I talk a lot with people about uh, paying attention to the amount of openness. So understanding that at any moment, 
um, you need to be aware of your own openness for connection and the other person's openness for connection can go a long way in terms of having the ability to connect when the, when the conditions are right. And having the sensitivity to know when that is can result in a lot of wonderful moments for couples that they otherwise might miss out on for not understanding that there's going to be this variability throughout the course of an hour, throughout the course of a day, and certainly throughout the course of a relationship. There's a variability for connection and knowing sort of when to, when to stop on red and go on green uh, makes a big difference in terms of having the good times. As well, uh, people underestimate the importance of um, being explicit about appreciations and positive comments. Again, we're, we're, our brains are, are biased towards noticing the problems, trying to fix the problems, and calling out the difficulties. So we have to make an extra effort, and, and, and it's important to know that that's a that's a, a bias of your of your neurology so that you do have to overcome it. It's not going to come naturally in general to pay as much attention to what's going right as what's going wrong. And yet, that's what relationships feed on. So developing the habit of, you know, several times a day, I usually say at least three times a day, you should be making some kind of positive comment to the people that you're closest to, the people you live with, your good friends, you know, make it a habit that that those little things that you notice but maybe don't quite notice that you notice, like you pull in the driveway and instead of the other person's car being parked awkwardly like they usually do so that you have to go in and ask them to move their car, you, you pull in the driveway and the car is nice and straight and you can get your car easily just like you always hope. Do you remember when you walk through the door to call out and say, hey, thanks for leaving the driveway clear. That was totally cool. And it can feel so good to be acknowledged for the extra effort that it takes to do this combining of households, of emotional moments, and all the little, the little moments that you notice something cool about this other person, um, whether it's a compliment, gee, I like the way you cooked the lasagna tonight, that was delicious, or thanks for parking your car straight, or, you know, thanks for remembering to pick up the dry cleaning, even something that minor. Um, we like we like to know that these extra efforts that we're going to to make life good for other people um, are helping and are being noticed and, and make a difference. And so that's they're nurturing that ability to feel good about what you're contributing to each other's lives is really important. Catherine, how important is it to an intimate bond to know that someone else has your back, like that feeling of being, you know, this is the person I can count on to always stand with me and protect me. Is that important? Mm, mm, mm. Um, <laughs> I'm loving your questions, Joan. It's clear that you've you've thought a lot about relationships um, because you're you're asking, I think, the things that are both the most important and the most on people's minds. Um, <clears throat> that that having your back feeling is. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's the most important thing we should we should mention today. Um, it relates to when people say, "Well, how do you know that it's love? What is love anyway?" And of course, that's a, a burning question forever. And my way of relating to what is love is exactly that. Love is when you you hold the other person's needs and interests and feelings in the same way that you hold your own. And so when you're trying to problem solve for a particular situation, let's take something mundane, like you're trying to figure out where to go for your vacation. Mundane, though I assure you many, many um, tense moments have happened between couples and families about that exact question. Um, do, you, do you hold it as important that the person that you're going on vacation with loves to go to the mountains and that's where they feel the most refreshed do you hold that as importantly as you hold the fact that actually that's not true for you and you really need to get to the beach? Um, and do you hold those two things equally so that when you're in the process of figuring out how to go forward, you're not just solving for your own needs, you're solving for the other person's needs. And of course, if they're doing the same, then that kind of mutuality is what is what really works and is what I mean when I say it's important to, to put the relationship first. What I really mean is what 
nurtures relationships is when you're mutually holding each other's needs and so that it's not a tug of war with in a in a relationship of adversaries you have two people squared off kind of um, in a power struggle over whose needs are going to get met. And you don't want to find yourself in an adversarial position with people you're close to and that you want to feel connected to. You want to feel like we're both we're both looking after each other. And that's the you've got my back feeling. And I think, you know, as you were speaking, I, I was thinking about when you're in a relationship, and I know for myself, that's probably one of the most important things for me to feel loved is that I know someone's standing by my side going through life together mm-hmm. with me. And, you know, right or wrong, mm-hmm. it's like you want that person. Uh, you've seen those jokes where, you know, your best friend will go to prison with you, you know, like whether it's right or right. wrong, you want to know that there's somebody who's just taking on life with you and getting rid of anyone yeah. who would hurt you. Yes, exactly. And and who, and by the way, uh, a corollary to that that's kind of important is that Holding the other person's interests equal to your own is not the same thing as um, as constantly being self-sacrificing. Sometimes people think that what a relationship needs and benefits by is for them to be unselfish, for them constantly to be featuring the other person's needs and priorities. And actually, that's not what a relationship needs, because what it really needs is for you to figure out, is this a moment? where the relationship and both of us will benefit if I do that. And sometimes it is. And at other times, the relationship is going to benefit by you kind of insisting that both of you look at what you need. And so it's not the same thing as being self-sacrificing. It's more a matter of taking on something more complicated than self-sacrificing in a certain way simplifies things. You just constantly go for, I'll give up what I want. More complicated is to figure out a sort of calculus of, well, I want to need this right now. You want to need something kind of different. In going forward, how can we minimize what we have to give up as a as a team, as a as a partnership, and maximize the benefits? And that's a little bit more complicated, but but much more beneficial. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, we all want to give love and we want to feel loved. And I'm so happy that you were here to just give us some tips and strategies to help us build and maintain strong and loving relationships. If our listeners would like to get more information about Catherine and her work, you can visit CatherineFordMD.com. Again, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's been a pleasure to talk about relationships. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Has COVID affected your receivables? Of course it has. And I'm sure you could probably use some professional help. A true test in choosing a top-notch debt collection agency is their recovery rate and the amount of money collected by the agency for their clients. That's a great return on investment. Also important today are the five-star Google reviews about their personnel and services. Wouldn't you hire a collection agency with 830-plus national reviews, over 70% of which are from the debtors that the agency was able to collect funds from? That's great diplomacy. May I suggest Kinnam, the diplomatic debt recovery firm? Our name comes from Kin Family, Num Numbers, Family Before Numbers, People Before Profits. This is Vito Mazza. Reach me at 800-850-5110. 
An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. As a producer and radio host who has conducted more than 2,000 interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make media appearances more impactful. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more about how I can help you shine like a pro, visit cyacyl.com slash media training. That's cyacyl.com slash media training. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. None of us could ever have imagined the devastation that has taken place during the past few years. It changed all of us. But for those who lost a loved one to COVID, life will never be the same. We heard the daily counts of numbers, and to many, they were just numbers. But to the countless others, they were moms and dads, brothers and sisters, husbands, wives, grandparents, friends, and children. Today's guest, Jean Syme, lost her sister to COVID. She joins us to share what that experience was like and to honor those we've lost. Jean is a contributor to the book, Voices 19, Their Legacies Live On. Welcome, Jean. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Jean, let's begin by talking about your sister Vivian's experience. She worked in healthcare in early 2020. Was she afraid of getting sick? My sister Vivian was afraid of getting sick, although she never admitted it to us. It was it happened at the very, very beginning of the pandemic, and it totally blindsided everyone, and we didn't know what to expect. But my sister was brave, and she worked in healthcare, so you have to be a brave person. And she was a hero to many by going to work every single day, regardless of what was happening with the pandemic. Yeah, she absolutely was a hero. And she, along with all of the other healthcare workers, they were our heroes. So when she got sick, what did she experience and what followed the diagnosis? Her first symptoms were shoulder and back pain, excruciating shoulder and back pain, which was about a week or two prior. Um, then the fever started and she couldn't break the fever, as well as the loss of taste and smell. And that was the indication that she needed to get tested for COVID. And so once she tested positive, what happened? Once my sister Vivian tested positive, she was given medication at first. Um, She did go to the emergency department to get checked out. Um, Unfortunately, they told her that if she wasn't experiencing breathing issues, to don't go to the emergency room they will turn her away. And if you remember, that was at the time where they had triages outside the hospital. So you had to go through certain checkpoints before you can actually walk into the hospital. So once she was sent home with medication, uh, she needed to wait a few days to get the results of her uh, COVID test. Um, Unfortunately, it was about three days later that she got her COVID test and she was still brave, still trying to fight it, still trying to take all of the over-the-counter vitamins, different solutions that that people were talking about to try and help, uh, you know, help with the the side effects of it. But unfortunately, that Thursday, she needed to go back to the emergency room, and she was admitted. From the time she experienced her first symptoms to the time she went into the hospital, it was only about a week, right? She experienced her symptoms, yes, about a week prior. She was it tested on a Monday, and she was admitted on Thursday, and she passed one week after being admitted. So she was being treated in the hospital for one week prior to her passing. So this moved very quickly. What was your family experiencing? Was there a time when you realized she wasn't going to make it? 
honestly, back then, it, it was so confusing because, it, as I said, it, it just blindsided everyone and no one understood it. You know, all you heard were different things on the news as far as different treatments and just trying to do your own research at that point because you couldn't speak to any doctors. You couldn't speak to anyone at the hospital. Um, we were limited to the number of times we could actually call to get any updates on her. So we were we were very confused. Um, you know, we were not thinking of the worst because my sister's strong. She did not have, have any underlying conditions as people were speaking of. And um, she was brave and she was a fighter. And we really did not anticipate to lose her at all. Um, again, it was just so much uncertainty. Um, that we really didn't know what to expect, but for myself personally, I, I did not, I did not expect her to not come home from the hospital. Yeah, and you know, having a loved one that is sick and in the hospital is a difficult situation to begin with. But what you experienced at that time was really horrific because you weren't allowed to visit with her, and then even when she passed away, you weren't allowed to be with her. So, what was it like for you? To lose a loved one when you weren't able to be by her side, do you think it magnifies the grief? Definitely, definitely. So many thoughts go through your mind. Um, regret, guilt. Um, was anyone with her? Did anyone hold her hand? Um, yes, it, it was just just a, a horrific, horrific um, experience for those of us left behind because we were helpless. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't go to the hospital. We couldn't, as I said, we were limited to to calling to, to get a status update on her. It was limited to one time per day, literally for one minute. And how do you convey that message to your family with a one-minute conversation, if we were lucky, with the, with the staff there? So it, it, was, it was like no other grief that I have ever experienced. I can only speak for myself. Um, but speaking to the other families who have lost someone to COVID as well, it's um, very, very similar to their experiences as well. I would not wish this on my worst enemy. You say you're speaking for yourself, but unfortunately, Jean, I think you're the voice for so many other people who are feeling the same way. And I know this is a very difficult conversation for you to have, and I know it was very difficult for you to write what you wrote in that book. But I do believe that it needs to be said because there are so many people out there feeling all alone and feeling like they're the only ones that have experienced such a horrendous grief. And, and your words are, are letting them know that they're not alone. That is correct. Um, and I was blessed to find a support group um, that we could share experiences and we could um, have empathy for each other. And I would I would suggest if anyone who is grieving, whether it's you know due to COVID or it's just grieving in general, is to um, find like-minded people, find people who are experiencing the same situation that you are going through to help each other go through. I'm not even going to say get through it because we never get through it. To go through it and to go through the journey together um, because it, it, it's like it's very difficult to go through and to manage and to to survive grief. Jean, what do you say to someone who is grieving a loss of a loved one, whether it be from COVID or for anything else? I know you just advised them to get support, but what else would you say to them? Definitely the support. Um, I would also say um, to, to talk to people. Um, you don't have to go through this alone, um, which a lot of people try to bottle it up inside of them. Um, I think it's healthy to talk about it when you're ready, because it takes a very, very long time to be able to speak about it. I know for myself, it, it, was, it took me a very, very long time. And even now, after two years, it's still difficult to speak about. But I think it's important um, for us. Um, just so many, so many different things that I would suggest to people. Uh, share your loved one's story. That is so, so important. Their story needs to be told and now you are their voice and as the book says their legacy lives on through us and their stories need to continue for generations 
as well as for the world to know. And this time during this pandemic, it's it's a part of history now. And for generations to come, especially the younger folks, it's important that they understand what people went through. And it's not it's not just losing a loved one. Everyone was affected with this pandemic, whether you lost a job, whether it was isolation, whether it was children who couldn't go to school and interact with each other and have any type of, of social communication with each other. Everyone has been affected. But for those who lost someone to COVID, this is, this is like no other experience that I hope anyone will ever have to go through again, especially for those of us that lost our loved ones at the very, very beginning of this pandemic, where we have no closure, we have no, um, no goodbyes. And as I mentioned, still two years after the fact, it's still very, very painful for us. Jean, what do you want us to know about Vivian? What do you believe is her legacy? I would say for Vivian, um, kindness um, to help others, um, definitely to live your dash because my sister enjoyed life. She had fun, whether it was just a simple trip to the grocery store or a car ride. We always laughed and always had fun. Um, Just to give back to people um, and enjoy life. Um, that, That is just so important, regardless of, you know, your wealth, regardless of your possessions. Just smile and make the best out of your life every moment um keep learning keep educating yourself keep teaching yourself different things there's so much to learn there's so much to experience in this world and tomorrow's not promised and we, we see that that is pretty obvious here um but she was a wonderful person she still is the book is Voices 19, Their Legacies Live On. If you'd like to learn more about the book, you can visit Voices19.com. Jean, thank you so much for spending this time with us. As I said, I know this was a very difficult conversation for you to have, but you are giving a voice to so many who are feeling the way that you do. And I, I want to let you know that we here are so sorry for your loss, and we extend our condolences to you and to everyone else who lost a loved one during this horrible time, as you said, in our history now. And so thank you for being here and for sharing about Vivian and about your experience. Well, thank you so much, Joan. In in our book, Voices 19, Their Legacy Lives On, it's a celebration of life. Um, It's not all about sadness. It's about celebrating them and the precious memories that they shared with everyone. Just a last message You can survive grief. It will take time, and we will eventually thrive as well. And just be patient with yourself and and have the support of loved ones and those who um, have gone through this as well. And just remember to say their name and to honor them and to let their legacies live on because they will through you forever and ever. And um, just... Miss my sister. She is one of them, one in a million. And um, I just want to thank her for not only being my sister, but my best friend. We'll be right back. Do you easily get all choked up? To quote Rosie Greer, it's all right to cry. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. When we organize together, our clients often get overcome with emotion, and I encourage them to let it all out. I call crying a soul scrub. It turns out that I'm right. Growing up in the 1970s and 80s, tears were considered a sign of weakness, a lack of resilience and inability to cope. Little did we know that it was the exact opposite. Science has since proved that crying has myriad physical and mental health benefits. I've summed them up with the acronym TEARS. T is for toxin release. E is for emotional balance. A is for AIDS sleep. R is for relieves pain. S is for stress relief. If you bottle everything up, it will come out somewhere eventually, and that can be dangerous. 
Crying is a natural reaction to a stimulus and a safe way to release pent-up feelings. The next time you feel your eyes well up, your throat tighten, and your nose run, let yourself cry. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Working with you on-site or virtually, we help you make space for blessings. If you're ready to release pent-up clutter as well as emotion, call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. to your health. Joining me today is Dr. Rojini Raj, a board-certified gastroenterologist and television personality. Dr. Raj is here today to discuss digestive discomfort. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, doctor, digestive discomfort can be the result of more than just overeating. It may be caused by a condition called EPI or exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Tell us about EPI. Sure. So EPI stands for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, as you just said, and that's a condition where your pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest your food properly. So what you may experience in that case are symptoms such as abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea, or unexplained weight loss. And the issue is many of these symptoms are also symptoms that are similar to other GI conditions. So it's really important to speak to your doctor if you're experiencing these symptoms frequently or on a recurring basis to make sure you get the proper diagnosis and ultimately the proper treatment. And you can certainly learn more about these symptoms at identifyepi.com. Doctor, who is at greatest risk for having this? And, and how do we know when it really is more than just overeating? I mean, you know what our diets are like today. So how can we tell the difference? Sure. Well, in terms of EPI, it has been associated with certain conditions like cystic fibrosis, chronic pancreatitis, which is a chronic inflammation of the pancreas, or even people who've had some type of pancreatic surgery can develop this condition. Uh, but in terms of how do you tell if it's just an occasional indigestion or something that needs to be investigated, it's really about listening to your body, paying attention to the frequency of the symptoms. So if it's just once in a while when you know you've kind of really overindulged, then that's probably something that happens to all of us occasionally. But if it's happening frequently, if it's recurring, if it's something that's affecting your life or your ability to enjoy your life, then it's certainly time to talk to your doctor and get to the bottom of the condition and make sure you know what it is so you can treat it appropriately. Can EPI be dangerous if left undiagnosed? Well, it certainly can affect your ability to absorb the nutrients that you need. It can lead to vitamin deficiencies, um, the weight loss as well it can be concerning, and it can be associated with some other very serious underlying conditions. We talked about cystic fibrosis and chronic pancreatitis, so it's certainly not something that you want to leave undiagnosed. Um, you want to get to the bottom of it and treat it. And where can our listeners go to get more information? Identifyepi.com has a lot more information about the condition and the symptoms associated with it. Dr. Raj, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing this condition to our attention. Again, identifyepi.com is a wonderful source for more resources. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much. 
Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.